Good afternoon. Good afternoon. Thank you so much for joining me. This is the lovely podcast, The Endurance of Labor Laws. I'm your lovely host, Leslie Sullivan, and today is episode 66 of this lovely podcast. And today we're going to take a look at the Superfund sites in the state of Alaska. But first of all, I want to give a big shout out to my listeners, so let me go to my lovely list here. So a big shout out to Oregon, British Columbia, Oklahoma, our lovely neighbor Texas, New York, Pennsylvania. Hey Pennsylvania and Virginia. Hey Virginia, how are you? Good to see you. In terms of countries, a big shout out to the United States and Canada. Love you guys very much. So, first of all, I want to do a little bit of housekeeping. So, what I wanted to take a look at was give you kind of a a small list of the Superfund sites that have been cleaned up. So these are ones that are cleaned up and good to go. So I want to circle back first of all to the state of New Jersey and just kind of give you an update um just to give you this list because I think it's good to give credit where credit is due. And I will give you if I have the date of when the Superfund sites were added to the national priorities list, I'll give that to you. Some of these do not give me when they were added to the list, but I will for sure give you the date. that their super fun site was completely cleaned up it's good to go not having a problem anymore and these sites are basically either shut down or they have been returned back basically to nature or have been returned back to their property owner or maybe the federal government still owns the land and maybe they're going to sell it i don't know there's all these different possibilities with this so let's go ahead and start on these the first one in new jersey that has been finished is Beechwood Berkeley Wells. This one was located in the County of Ocean. It was uh listed on the National Priorities List September 8th, 1983. It is, let's see, it was cleaned up and good to go as of January 6th, 1992. The next one is Combe Fill North Landfill. That one was located in the County of Morris. That one was added to the National Priorities List on September 8th, 1983. and it was cleaned up and good to go as of June 2nd, 2004. The next one is Cooper Road Drum Dump, so probably a landfill. That one was located in the county of Camden. It was added to the national priorities list September 21st, 1984. It was cleaned up and good to go as of February 22nd, 1989. The next uh New Jersey Superfund site that is good to go now is the I think that's Delilah Road landfill. That one was located in the county of Atlantic. It was added to the national priorities list September 21st, 1984. It was cleaned up and good to go as of October 13th, 2009. The next one is Denzer and Schaefer X-ray Company. This one was located in the county of Ocean. It was added to the national priorities list September 8th, 1983. Um it was cleaned up and good to go as of December 29th, 1998. The next one is Florence Land Recontouring Incorporated. That one was located in the county of Burlington. It was added to the national priorities list on September 21st, 1984. It was cleaned up and good to go as of May 13th, 2004. The next one is Fort Dix Landfill. That one was located in the county of Burlington. I do not have a national priorities list date, but I do know that it was cleaned up and good to go as of September 10th, 1999. The next one is Friedman Property. That one was located in Manmouth, 
Um, let's see, New Jersey. And it says it was added to the national priorities list September 8th, 1983. It was cleaned up and good to go as of March 7th, 1986. The next one is Glen Ridge Radium Sites. That one was located in Essex. It was added to the national priorities list February 14th, 1985. It was cleaned up and good to go as of September 2nd, 2009. The next one is Grand Street Mercury. That one was located in Hudson County. It was added to the national priorities list September 25th, 1997. It was uh, cleaned up and good to go as of as of September 18th, 2007. The next one is Hopkins Farm. That one was located in the county of Ocean. It was cleaned up and good to go as of August 27th, 2002. The next one is Industrial Latex. That one was located in the county of Bergen. It was cleaned up and good to go as of April 21st, 2003. The next one is Jackson Township Landfill. That one was located in the county of Ocean. It was cleaned up and good to go as of September 13th, 1995. The next one is Chrysowati. I think that's how you pronounce that. That is a farm. Um it was located in the county of Somerset. It was cleaned up and good to go as of February 22nd, um 1989. The next one was Lodi Municipal Wells. That one was located in the county of Bergen. It was cleaned up and good to go as of December 29th, 1998. The next one is M&T Delisa Landfill. That one, let's see, was located in the county of Manmouth. It was cleaned up and good to go as of March 21st, 1991. The next one is Manheim Avenue Landfill. That one was located in the county of Atlantic, New Jersey. It was cleaned up and good to go as of August 27th, 2007. The next one is Monroe Township Landfill. That one was located in the county of Middlesex. It was cleaned up and good to go as of February 3rd, 1994. The next one is Montclair West Orange Radium Sites. That one is located in a couple different places, but it was located primarily in the county of Essex. It was added to the national priorities list September 15th, 2005. It was cleaned up and good to go as of September 2nd, 2009. The next one is Pepe Field. That one was located in the county of Morris. It was added to the national priorities list September 6th, 2000. Um it was cleaned up and good to go as of July 11th, 2003. The next one is Pijack Farm. It is, let's see, that one was located in the county of Ocean. It was added to the national priorities list. That's going to be February 28th, 1996. Let's see, it was cleaned up and good to go as of March 3rd, 1997. So they got that one cleaned up pretty quick. I'm impressed. The next one is Pomona Oakswell contamination. This one was located in the county of Atlantic. It was cleaned up and good to go as of May 7th, 1998. The next one is Renora Inc. It was located in the county of Middlesex. It was cleaned up and good to go as of March 20th, 2000. The next one is Ringwood Mines Landfill. It was located in the county of Passaic, and it says here it was cleaned up and good to go as of November 2nd, 1994. The next one is Sayerville Landfill. This one was located in the county of Middlesex. It was cleaned up and good to go November 15th, 2011. The next one is South Brunswick Township Landfill. 
Um, that one was located in the county of Middlesex. It was cleaned up and good to go as of February 27th, 1998. The next one is Spence Farm. It was located in the county of Ocean. And it says here it's cleaned up and good to go as of March 3rd, 1997. The next one is Tabernacle Drum Dump. That's hard to say. And that one was located in the county of Burlington. And it was cleaned up and good to go as of May 8th, 2008. The next one is Upper Deerfield Township Sanitary Landfill. Um, that one was located in the county of Cumberland. It was cleaned up and good to go as of June 9th, 2000. The next one is Vineland Developmental Center. That one was located in the county of Cumberland. It was cleaned up and good to go as of May 7th, 1998. The next one is Wilson Farm. That one was located in the county of Ocean. It was cleaned up and good to go as of September 8th, 2009. The next one is Whitco Chemical Corporation. Let's see, that one was located in the county of Bergen. It was cleaned up and good to go as of, as of September 29th, 1995. So just a bit of an update there because I did not go through all of the Superfund sites that, whole, that had already been cleaned up. When I started doing um, these episodes, going over the different Superfund sites in the United States, so I want to make sure to list, to list those out because sometimes it, it's good to know what's been going on and you know, whether it's good, bad, or ugly. It's just always nice to hear some good news, right? So I always love to hear good news. But for this particular episode, we are going to go over the current Superfund sites that are located in the state of Alaska. In Alaska, you're doing great. You don't have very many Superfund sites. You're not like New Jersey or California. You guys are awesome. You do a really good job. So let's go ahead and get started on this puppy. The first one, now what I'm about to say, these are ones that are still active. They are still on the national priorities list for the state of Alaska. So the first one that is currently in the state of Alaska is ADAC Naval Air Station. And the ADAC Naval Air Station, let me see what it says about it. It's not letting me see. Here we go. It says here that this one is located on ADAC Island, and it was closed in 1997. And let's see here. The facility was designated as National Historic Landmark for its role in World War II. So let's see here. Um, it tells me that it's located in the borough of Eleusians West. In Eleusians, it has, let's see, as of 2020, the population is 5,232 people. So if you live in that borough, you have a Superfund site. The reason that this one is contaminated and is listed on the national priorities list is they have groundwater, sediment, surface water, and soil in several locations on the island. that are contaminated with petroleum-related um, substances, polychlorinated biphenyls, also known as PCBs, metals, chlorinated solvents, explosives, and unex- unexploded substances, uh, groundwater contaminated with petroleum and organic chemicals. This one was added to the list May 31, 1994. It is still active and still on the list. The next one that is in Alaska is Elmendorf Air Force Base. It is located in Anchorage. And let's see here that it was originally known as Elmendorf Field. It became Elmendorf Air Force Base after World War II. 
And let's see, Anchorage, let's see, the population for that is 291,247 people as of 2020. So if you live in the Anchorage area, you do have a Superfund site that is active and is still present and causing contamination. Let's see, it says the soil and shallow groundwater beneath the various landfills, fuel storage facilities, training areas, and maintenance hangars located on the base have been contaminated with petroleum hydrocarbons and other fuel contaminants, volatile organic compounds, also known as VOCs, polycyclic aromatic hydrocarbons, also known as PAHs, polychlorinated biphenyls, also known as PCBs, pesticides, asphalt, and associated chemicals, and heavy metals, including lead. So they've got a lot of problems going on, th- going on at this one. This one was added to the list August 30, 1990. It is still active and is still contaminating the planet in terms of that area. The next Alaska Superfund site is Fort Richardson. It is associated with the U.S. Army. This one is also located in Anchorage. Let's see here. The problems with this one is sediment and surface water contaminated with white phosphorus. That is not good. The soil at the Roosevelt Road transmitter site is contaminated with volatile organic compounds, also known as VOCs, heavy metals, and polychlorinated biphenyls, also known as PCBs. Soil and groundwater at the Pole Line Road disposal area is contaminated with VOCs as well. This one was added to the list. Let me double check the date because something looks funky. Let's see here. Oh, it was added May 31, 1994, and it is still active. In terms of it being a super fun site, the next one in Alaska is Ilsen Air Force Base. That one is located in Fairbanks North Star. The population for this place is, let's see, 95,665 people, and that's as, as of the 2020 census. Let's see what the problem with this one is. It says groundwater contains lead and volatile organic compounds, VOCs. such as benzene, xylene, and BTEX compounds, several areas of substance petroleum-contaminated soil, and floating petroleum product are the sources of continuing groundwater contamination. This one was added to the National Priorities List. That's going to be November 21, 1989. So that one is still, on, it's still active, and it's still on the list. The next one in Alaska is Fort Wainwright, This one is also located in Fairbanks North Star. The problem with this one is groundwater and soil contaminated with solvents, petroleum products, pesticides, fuel additives, lead, and polynuclear aromatic hydrocarbons, PAHs. Sediments contain PAHs and low-level pesticides. This one was added to the National Priorities List on August 30, 1990. It is still active and it is still on this list. The next one in Alaska is Salt Chuck Mine. That one is located in outer, I think it's Ketchikan, K-E-T-C-H-I-K-A-N. The problem with this one is water and sediments in the Kassan Bay and Lake Ellen Creek contaminated with heavy metals from mine tailings. This one was added to the National Priorities List March 4th, 2010. It is still on the list. It is still an active problem. Even though they have these there in Alaska, this is nothing compared to California and New Jersey. So they're doing really good. And also Alaska, you guys are doing really good in terms of your, um, I think they're called preservations, reservations, and also um, 
your national parks. Those are federally protected. I know that. So that's probably why it's still so beautiful up there is that you guys are really preserving the land up there. But also Alaska is not heavily populated. It's not heavily populated like um, California or New Jersey. So that's another reason why they probably don't have as many super fun sites is because they don't have a lot of business there. So you, you kind of have to compare apples to apples and not apples to oranges because no two states are exactly the same. So that is it for the lovely state of Alaska. And uh, we already completed kind of some background information on New Jersey in terms of the sites they have already completely cleaned up. So probably for the next podcast, we will take a look at Arizona or Arkansas. So those should be very interesting as well because they're both very beautiful states, but they're total opposites. Arizona has a lot more desert than Arkansas. Arkansas is very beautiful, rich, lush and green in terms of plant life and things like that. So it will be really interesting to see you know the issues that are going on in terms of super fun sites within these states and how they manage them also it will be interesting to see if their super fun sites are predominantly caused by companies in the private sector or if they are predominantly caused by the federal government whether it's US military NASA whatever the case may be but either way whether it's caused by a private company or the federal government in terms of US military or NASA all of it needs to be cleaned up again if you're new to this podcast we have 40,000 super fund sites in the United States and again super fund sites mean that it's an area that is highly toxic and hazardous and is having to be cleaned up whether privately by the company or by the EPA because there are toxic hazardous problems in the surface water groundwater soil and possibly the air So whenever they make it to the national priorities list which again there's a little over 1300 on that list but whenever they make it to the national priorities list which is what I'm reading from that means that those are so toxic so horrible so bad that they have been pushed up to like critical stage like if this was a cancer it'd be like stage 3 or 4 cancer basically that's the best way I can compare it and what's interesting is that some of these toxic areas they do cause cancer unfortunately because there's only so much the human body can be exposed to and there's only so much it can fight off so you know definitely lift up prayers for you know these different areas where they have these uh, toxic superfund sites because not only are people being exposed but nature is being exposed so i think there's one superfund site that i saw in a documentary i can't remember which one it was but even the wildlife is not allowed to leave the area because they're they're toxic they're hazardous so they've basically been quarantined i can't remember the name of it but they've been quarantined to the chain link area where they're supposed to stay unless they can fly off like if they're a bird or something but basically you you can't eat the fish from the pond or you know whatever is in that area like the deer or whatever the case may be because they've been exposed to very toxic hazardous waste so basically they have quarantined off those areas on this particular super fun site and um they basically just have to leave the wildlife alone in that area because they can't take them to a zoo they can't move them to another area because it it's toxic and so they've been exposed to something that they don't want to be exposed to other animals or to other areas so this is why This is why this is so important because if we can help clean up the environment all across the board 
then first of all, we will be safe, you know, the, the people of this planet, but also we will also be protecting our future generations, basically our children and our grandchildren. We will be protecting the, the wildlife, the mammals, every, every type of animal actually, regardless of whether it's a mammal or not. But also we will get to help repair the earth, help renew it. And when we do all those things, we can help it get back to its original state as much as possible because that is the ultimate goal, is to repair and to restore. So that is always a good goal. It is doable, it is feasible, it is possible. As we've seen, just within the state of New Jersey, they were able to clean up, I think, like 32 Superfund sites. Some of them were cleaned up like within a year or so. Others took like two or three decades, but they got it done. So what will be interesting is to see... We're going to go through all 50 states in the United States as well as our territories and we're going to take a look and see how many Superfund sites are located in each state and how many they have that have already been cleaned up. So just FYI, the ones that I read off that are already cleaned up, those were not mentioned in the previous podcast where I was listing the current Superfund sites. Um, I want to make sure that my podcasts were not super long Because, first of all, it's exhausting to me to be talking nonstop for like an hour or two. And also, um, number two, I'm not really sure I would want someone to listen to that for an hour or two unless it's something you really enjoy. Hey, some people like to listen to books for that long a period of time. That's great. Go for it. But um, I just don't want to bore my listeners. I don't think you're bored because I think if you were bored, you would stop listening. But obviously, you are listening because I can see the numbers. I can see which state Um, you know, which state has more listeners as opposed to others. I can see which countries have more listeners than others. But I just want to make sure that this isn't just a boring Debbie Downer podcast because that's not what I want, not at all. I think it's important to, to, um, to talk about the issues, but to also give, you know, the negatives and the positives, the pros and the cons. And to always be positive about our future because even though I don't agree with every little thing that is happening in our country, I know that we can always move forward. And what's great about the United States is that we set the stage for the rest of the world. We really do. Whether we realize it or not, we set the stage for future generations and for current generations that are living in other countries. I mean, why else would so many people want to come to the United States and live here? I mean, they obviously value our country, our culture, how, our way of life. Otherwise, I don't think people would want to move here. I mean, like, I don't know anyone that thinks, oh, I want to go live in Africa and get dysentery and get malaria. Like, I don't, any, I don't know anyone that thinks that way. The only people I know that want to go to Africa are those that really want to help Africa because they've got those two problems and they've got other problems as well. So my point is this. It's always important to look at the positive. Always, always, always. And even, for example, with Africa, you know, What's interesting with Africa is that even though it's really tough over there, they, the people from Africa are some of the nicest people I've ever met. I actually went to school with a couple of people that um, they were international students, and they were just some of the sweetest people I have ever met. And so whenever I think about some of the hardships that are going on in Africa and the things that are happening over there, sometimes I think about the people that I've met from there. And number one, I pray for them. And number two, I think, okay, how can I help? Or do I already know someone that's helping out over there? Um, so it's just one of those things that I guess, I guess what I'm trying to say is it's not over till God says it's over. And even then, he makes exceptions to the rule all the time. 
you know, I see that in my life all the time. Like I know that it, it's it's not over. And that we can always do good, we can always help each other, we can always have a better future. It's just we have to count our blessings, count them twice and focus on the positive. So in regards to the United States and these super fund sites, yes, we have a lot. We have thousands of super fund sites. But I think what's really good about the state of New Jersey just from what we looked at, you know, some moments ago, some of their super fund sites, they were able to clean up in a little over a year. I'm impressed with that considering how liberal New Jersey is and how highly populated it is and that New Jersey and California are like basically the two top offenders in terms of having the most super fund sites. I'm impressed that they're able to clean some of these up so quickly and in times past. Now, I will say this, I did not see any super fund sites that were cleaned up recently. So, it looks like they haven't been cleaning up for a while, for like um almost a decade, if not longer. So, I just wish that there was more more done on a on a better schedule. But then again, I don't really know what's going on in the state of New Jersey and I don't really know if they are if they have the right tools. to help with these other super fund sites because what's interesting is that no two super fund sites are exactly the same they can be similar like for example if they both have arsenic in their soil or if they both have white phosphorus in their soil you know i would think that the easiest way to help clean these up would be to look for similarities and whatever worked at one super fund site see if if part of that policy and procedure can be used at a different super fund site if you're dealing with the same compound, the same solvent or the same chemical and see if you can just knock a little bit out at a time. Like for example, if you have a super fund site, let's say it has arsenic and lead contamination. Well, if you know how to clean up lead, go ahead and clean up the lead and then figure out how to clean up the arsenic at another time. But go with what you already know and then figure out the other part later. But you know, I look at it this way. It's kind of one of those things when you start a project, it's way easier to keep the momentum once you get started. You know what I mean? It's like once you start accomplishing things, once you start completing things, you know, th- basically the ball gets rolling. So I think that's a great thing to do. So personally what I would do if I was in charge of this, I would pull all the data for all these super fund sites on the national priorities list and I would look at all the super fund sites that have arsenic in them and I would just list all of them and I'd say okay what policies and procedures what methods do we have that help get rid of the arsenic contamination and then just kind of zone it like I remember um I worked an inventory job part time when I was in college for a little bit and it was a really cool job um we would we had scanners and we would go into these places of business they were hi- they would hire us to do all this inventory to scan everything and so what we would do is we would swarm an area of the store and then move on to the next area of the store and we would just swarm it we got it done so fast because we were just scanning so quick and we would just swarm the area that's what we should do with these super fund sites is divide them out based on the type of contamination and then swarm it. Like if we have a really good team that knows how to process and decontaminate, let's say an area that has arsenic in it, hey, get get those specialists in that area and have them swarm it. And then they move on to the next super fun site that has an arsenic problem and then just go right down the list. That's how I would handle it as opposed to just trying to handle it all at once. 
I think it would be better to handle these one at a time, but group them out so that way you already know your policies, procedures, your method that you're going to use so that way you create efficiency. That is the best way to do that. You know, it's almost like when you go see a surgeon and they, you know, let's say for example, they specialize in removing gallbladders. Well, the reason why they're so good at removing a gallbladder is because they specialize in it. And they've done it hundreds if not thousands of times, so they've got they've got their system down tight, right? And for example, most surgeons, they can remove a gallbladder, they have affiliations with multiple hospitals. So a lot of doctors when they have multiple affiliations, meaning they can remove the gallbladder of a of a patient at these hospitals that they have permission to do that. They have permission to treat a patient basically. But what's interesting is that no two hospitals are run exactly the same, even if they are within the same network. But what's interesting is that the surgeon they know the layout of the operation room, they know what team they need, they know what tools they need, and they know they know the pros and the cons of each hospital because no hospital is perfect. You know, we know that. And that that's just how life is because no one is perfect. But we can get pretty close to perfection when we when we eliminate mistakes as many as possible and we know what works and what doesn't work. So it's interesting about surgeons because I've met some over the years. They know which hospitals and their staff work best for or uh, for uh, what's it called? Orthopedic orthopedic surgery. and then heart surgery or you might be working on someone's you know gastrointestinal issue whatever the case may be there are different hospitals that have specific equipment to handle those issues for the patient it's the exact same thing i think that we should do when it comes to these super fund sites because i think if we hire a team that specializes in that specific compound or solvent or chemical or whatever the case may be then you won't be burdening those researchers and those specialists with all this other stuff all at the same time because if you think about some of these super fun sites that we've seen they have multiple types of contamination can you imagine what a huge burdensome task that would be if you were in charge of that site so i think it helps to calm down the stress level and it makes it more pleasant more feasible and more doable and more efficient if you separate those tasks out and you assign one specialist or one scientist to take a look at okay get rid of the arsenic in the soil assign another one to get rid of the lead contamination that's in the water and if you have lead contamination in surface water and groundwater have two different specialists that handle that because those are two totally different sources of water so then you would have three different specialists working on three different things at one super fund site if that's if that's the type of contamination it had but here's the thing it, you would not be overloading one employee with all of it because here is one of the biggest lies that multitasking works it does not multitasking sucks it is a horrible waste of money it is a huge problem in terms of the private sector and the public sector as well but what i can't stand is whenever i'm working for an employer and it's like i'm really good at one particular part of accounting well then they think oh well why don't you do this other stuff it's like well just because i'm good at this that doesn't mean that i can handle this other stuff or that i want to handle it so typically what ends up happening is cheap labor takes in in how word it cheap labor starts occurring so basically you have an employer whether it's in the public sector or private sector where they see an employee is really talented at one thing 
like, oh, well, you're good at this. So then they just dump all this other stuff on that one employee. Well, guess what? That's cheap labor. We're not supposed to do that. Basically, what ends up happening is they dump like three or four jobs on one employee because they were really good at one thing or two things. Well, then guess what? That employee gets burned out. The stuff doesn't get done. And then that's when problems start happening. That's not the fault of the employee. That's the fault of the manager and or the company. So it's one, that's why I think we really need to keep these tasks separate. Don't overload these people with work. They have enough to do just by handling one task. Let them complete one task at a time because that's how you get the ball rolling as opposed to, oh, here's this whole box of trouble. Handle all of it all at the same time. That is a total mismanagement of talent, of labor, of employees. It's totally dumb. I see it all the time in the state of Oklahoma, and the reason why is because we are an at-will state. There are so many employers, they just dump all this stuff on employees And then if the employee says, hey, I can't do all of this, then guess what? The employer says, oh, well, you must not be really good at, at your job. So either A, we're going to keep you and you're going to have to do this other work, but you're not going to get a raise because you just said you can't handle this. Or they fire the employee, which is horrible. So it, it's kind of um, unpleasant. I was going to use a different word, but I'm trying to work on my language because I don't want to vent. Um, but I would think that if, if an employer... Regardless of whether it's private sector or public sector, if you want to do things right and you want to get things done quickly, efficiently, and correctly, save money and save labor and keep your employees happy and have a pleasant work environment, regardless of how tense it can be at times, you know, don't overload your employees because there's only so much one person can do. And, you know, it is wonderful when someone can do multiple tasks. That's great. But that is not efficiency. In fact, that's one of the worst things you can do, and I'll give you an example. You know, just dumping all these work projects on one person would be like if a surgeon is removing a patient's gallbladder, but then someone walks in and says, oh, by the way, can you go ahead and remove their appendix and their spleen and maybe some nodules, like right in the middle of the surgery? And the surgeon will look at you and be like, what, what the bleep? Like, what are you doing in here? Why are you interrupting a major surgery? And if you're like some of these stupid employers or even in the public sector, you know, what the employer will typically say is, well, we saw that you're really good at this, so why wouldn't you be at these other things? Don't you want to help? Don't you want to be a team player? See, employers, what they do sometimes is they throw it back on the worker. And so they shame and blame to try and get people to take on more than they can handle. And also, that's also a way of cheating people out of their pay when you overload them with work. And I'll give an example. There was one job I interviewed for, this was quite a while ago, I interviewed for, I think, either office manager or staff accountant. I can't remember which one, but it was very specific. I'll just say staff accountant. So what the, the job role was listed as staff accountant, but then when I got there, it, they were, they were going to have me work at the front desk and be like the receptionist, but do accounts payable, receivable, and HR stuff right there at the front desk. And I said, you got to be kidding me. You want me to handle sensitive information like people's social security numbers, you know, their time off, their pay, print checks from the front desk and answer the phones? I was like, that's not that's not appropriate. I was like, I, no, I'm not doing that. I was like, I applied for a staff accountant position. That means I'm supposed to be back in an office where I can process confidential data. 
This is not you should not have this kind of information at a front desk ever and you should not be having a receptionist do it. Nothing gets receptionists but receptionists they're the gatekeeper and they're the one that meets the public. You know, if you're having someone process your payroll, you should not have them be processing that at a front desk where a visitor can just peek over, you know, or lean over and see, you know, someone's social security number and what they make, their pay. Like that's um unlawful. And you know, if it's a medical practice, that's a HIPAA violation technically. So I mean, there there's a lot that goes into that. So that's just one of those things that if you're going to do a job, do it well. Don't just, you know, don't don't be a cheapskate as they say. Don't be like the super frugal farmer as they say and just be so cheap that you don't want to pay anyone anything and then you get angry when people can't really help you because you've overloaded them with work that's not really achievable. That might be what's happening a little bit within EPA. Besides overspending and, you know, having a huge budget that I don't think they need. I still don't think they need 9 billion dollars. I think obviously they have some problems. and they are mismanaging funds and they're not getting the job done. But what will help get the job done? We're going to swing back to the positive. What can help get it done is if you create projects that are specialized. They're very specialized. And so that way there's no overlap. So for example, we'll go back to the example of having a super fun site that has three different specialists working on site handling three different things, right? They only they're only handling one thing at a time for each of them. That is really good because the number one thing that really irritates people at work is when you have job responsibilities that overlap. So then you have too many hands in the pot. and it makes it really frustrating for employees to know okay well what is my role you're also having this person do my job what am i supposed to do but yet you're holding me accountable for my work and their work that's not fair and that's not right like if i'm going to be doing someone else's work i need to be getting paid their wages and vice versa if they're doing my work they need to be paid for that so that's why it's best to separate those job responsibilities out but also it creates accountability like most people they want to be held accountable for what they do because they they want people to see the good work that they do like like you want to know what you're accomplishing that's not greed that's not pride it's you want to know what you're doing and how you're doing at your job and plus you want to take pride in your work that doesn't mean you're proud full it means that you want to know that you're doing a good job and that and that you're doing it well and that you know you have that sense of accomplishment and you have that confidence to achieve the next task because there's nothing more frustrating to an employee when they don't know what to do, where to go, but yet they're being yelled at and written up for stuff that they they weren't hired for for the correct job. Like they were told, "Hey, you're going to be doing this, but now we're going to dump this other stuff on you." That has nothing to do with with the original job description. So, for sure, the way to get this stuff cleaned up is again to have specialists that specialize in one particular thing. and give them a chance a good chance a reasonable chance to complete one assignment at a time because the more that they can do let me put this way the more they can devote their labor to one task or one assignment or one project the more quickly they can get that done and then move on to the next one right away and plus once they get one or two of them done like get that under their belt they'll be like oh i got this i know exactly what to do what other super fun sites do you need me to go to so then not only will they be really good at their job but they will want to continue to help 
because they will have that sense of accomplishment and that sense of confidence that hey, this is a great job. I love what I do. I can't wait to handle more. That's how you reward employees. You give them a chance to let their light shine. Basically, you don't micromanage, you macromanage. You train the person how you want them to behave and work in their work environment, on their job responsibilities, and then you let them hold themselves accountable to what they're going to be doing. Cuz let me put it this way, people know when they're not good at their job. And most people say, "Hey, this really isn't my forte. I think it really needs to be geared more towards this." Most people are open and honest about it. However, when people do not speak up, it's because they've been overloaded with other things and then they're scared of losing their job. So if people do not have the fear of losing their job, then they are more likely to help you out in other ways once they have accomplished what they already know that they can do. I hope that makes sense because that's what how do I word this? It's that's what I've gone through in terms of my employment over the years. Like I love it when a manager gives me an opportunity to learn my job and do it well. That's I love that and not have a micromanager and not be cracking the whip. I hate that. I never get along with people that act like that. I'm just like I'm not a 5-year-old, I'm an adult. Most of us are adults. I doubt there are any children listening to these kinds of podcasts. But here's the thing. Whenever people are working, or should I should say adults, whenever adults are working, they're not expecting to have a nanny. Like they're not at a at a daycare for adults. They're at a job. So people need to be treated with dignity and respect. They do need to be held accountable for their job, but also their job and their job description needs to be reasonable work, not unreasonable. It needs to be realistic expectations of their skill set, their talent, their time, and their labor. If you if you satisfy all those I would say all of that in the equation of getting a job done, you will have a very happy employee and then the employer will be like, "Hey, I hired a really good person. They're really good at what they do. This is great." So then you then you will have that long-term longevity of the employee because they will know that they are valued and they are respected. I would say that those are probably the two top things that employees that's all they want more than anything is to be valued and respected because they know if they have those two things then there really isn't anything that they can't accomplish because they're willing to try and they're willing to do above and beyond what is required of the job but if you overload them they're so exhausted that they can't even think straight or they can't even think about wanting to do more because if anything they want to do less because they're burdened So for sure make make sure that this work that's being done through the EPA for the Superfund sites that it's reasonable work. It's reasonable and it's realistic. And have realistic expectations of the situation, of the labor, of the salary and of the talent of the person that is being hired to accomplish this stuff. That's my personal opinion because That's how I would want to be treated in this kind of situation because I know what it's like to just have a bunch of stuff dumped on you with no clear direction and then they shame and blame you for something not getting done. I'm like, "Okay, well, you can't blame me for something if I didn't get training." You know, like if you really want someone to be successful, you need to train them appropriately, even if it's just like 2 weeks or something. Give them some sort of direction. Like if you don't give someone a direction, then how can you blame them for not knowing what the roadmap looks like, basically? 
So we basically want to steer away from being hypocrites and be good and true to our word and give people every opportunity to be successful. That's what it should be. But anyway, um, that is it for this lovely podcast. So until next time, I pray that you're happy, healthy, and whole, that you have a wonderful day and a wonderful week. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. Don't let this world